The 2023 MEIC Conference, May 28, 2023. Last week, the Midstream Energy Infrastructure Conference, MEIC, held its annual event in Palm Beach, Florida. SL Advisors partner Henry Hoffman was there, and today's blog post recounts highlights reported by Henry. One Oak's proposed acquisition of Magellan Midstream was a common topic, especially the unwelcome recapture of deferred taxes facing Magellan. When a C-Corp, in this case One Oak, buys a partnership, the limited partners in the target get a bad tax outcome. For this reason, Crestwood LPC or Bob Phillips told us they'd never sell to a C-Corp buyer. Since he's never sold a unit of Crestwood, his recapture of deferred taxes would presumably be significant. Williams CEO Alan Armstrong recalled paying a hefty tax bill on his own holdings of Williams Partners LP when it was acquired by the parent company in 2018. There are few painless exits from an MLP investment. One sell-side analyst reported that Magellan had decided to sell because they didn't see an obvious path to growth short of significant capex and believed their company was undervalued. Overall, companies expressed predictable interest in making bolt-on acquisitions, but there was little indication of any other large deals in the work. Gabe Marine of Mizuho Securities, Adam Bright of Truist, and Chase Mulverhill from Bank of America generally agreed that strong balance sheets would allow further industry consolidation, but were skeptical about any other large deals like One Oak Magellan. Natural gas takeaway infrastructure and permitting reform were two themes that recurred in discussion. Lunch speaker Dan Riker, former Assistant Secretary for Energy, 1997-2001, brought attention to the issue of consistent underinvestment in public infrastructure, particularly in areas that don't provide immediate private returns. He underlined the criticality of bipartisan dialogue and collaboration in addressing the complex challenges of the energy sector. A panel discussion covered potential opportunities for private equity deals, the escalating need for gas takeaway capacity, and the evolution of energy project permitting in light of increasing social justice focus. J.P. Morgan's financing panel predicted a challenging environment for upstream financing, but expect optimism for the LNG debt sector, noting that financing has continued unabated. Another lunch speaker, Dr. Amrita Sen from Energy Aspects, highlighted the robust Asian demand for liquefied natural gas, or LNG, and the global increase in natural gas liquids demand. Those are NGLs. She noted the persistent underinvestment in the supply of both LNG and NGLs. Highlights from interactions with individual companies are below. In a fireside chat, Enterprise Products Partners co-CEO Randy Fowler shared his perspectives on acquisitions. Fowler emphasized the importance of quality in three main areas, contracts, the producers underpinning those contracts, and the quality of systems in which these contracts operate. Specifically, he cited the Navitas acquisition as an example. Fowler also reflected on the company's response to the COVID-19 pandemic. He noted that most staff returned to office work within two to three weeks, with the exception of immunocompromised individuals. He made it clear that remote work was not an option for their field workers, and office workers should share the same ethos. In a separate panel discussion on the topic of ESG, Fowler pointed out that with 30% of the world's population living in energy poverty, Enterprise Products Partners' exports of propane is making a tangible difference in people's lives. He noted that EPD exports more propane than Saudi Arabia, a statistic that underscores the scale of their operations. 
He highlighted the fact that more people die annually from unsafe cooking practices than from the COVID-19 pandemic during its peak, emphasizing the vital role of liquefied petroleum gas in addressing this issue. He described LPGs from Shell as a true miracle. EPD also reiterated their commitment to the Master Limited Partnership structure. Energy Transfer CFO Dylan Bramall provided an update on the regulatory challenges the company is facing. He expressed shock at the Department of Energy's denial of a permanent extension for the Lake Charles LNG project. Energy Transfer is appealing the decision, the results of which are expected within a month. Bramall cautioned that this development may signal a shift towards more regulatory activism, potentially introducing a new layer of uncertainty and complexity in securing project financing. Bramall revealed plans to share financing responsibilities for Lake Charles with the individual equity partners rather than at the project level, with ET retaining a long-term 25% stake in the project. He highlighted the financial flexibility of the company and pointed out potential upstream synergies of Lake Charles. Bramall also shared an ambition for more mergers and acquisitions, ideally financed through cash reserves expected to accumulate after a predicted upgrade to their credit rating later this year. Jesse Arnavis, CEO of Enlink, concentrated our group session on the company's carbon capture and sequestration initiatives, that's CCS. He projected that this business would represent 25% of the company's EBITDA by 2030. Arnavis conceded that weather conditions had negatively impacted the company's first quarter performance, but remained optimistic about Enlink's future prospects. He suggested that the company's current market undervaluation makes acquisitions unattractive, effectively eliminating any M&A concerns. Breck Bash with CapturePoint, a Texas energy distribution company, also reported seeing huge opportunities in CCS, especially after the passage of the Inflation Reduction Act, which includes substantial tax credits. Alan Armstrong, CEO of Williams Company, stressed that strong demand for the company's services is challenging their capacity to deliver. With a long list of promising organic projects in the pipeline, Armstrong suggested that the company is not presently interested in pursuing M&A strategies. He drew attention to the Supreme Court hearing on the Chevron deference case, indicating that its outcome could have considerable implications for the permitting process in the energy sector. Nearly 40 years ago, in Chevron versus Natural Resources Defense Council, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that courts should defer to a federal agency's interpretation of an ambiguous statute as long as that interpretation is reasonable. The Supreme Court has agreed to reconsider that ruling. In a highly engaging conversation, Target CEO Matthew Malloy detailed his strategic approach to capital allocation. He highlighted his willingness to buy back his stock at a seven times EV to EBITDA multiple while identifying low-risk investment opportunities in contractor projects at a four times multiple. Malloy offered insights into the potential sale of non-core assets in South Texas and the Badlands, which require minimal capex and yield-stable cash flows. Malloy's 10-year NPV approach to Target and its assets displayed a keen sense of value. While he currently sees numerous opportunities, he acknowledged a potential surplus of free cash flow versus investment opportunities in the next three to five years. Consequently, Malloy expects a substantial increase in dividend payments in the future, although not near term. Lastly, Tellurian is optimistic about their prospects for securing equity partners by the end of July for their LNG project. 
They estimated that bank debt would be finalized within two months following the equity financing deal. Despite skepticism in the market, they argued that successfully securing equity financing would significantly boost their stock value. We have been critics of Tellurian because of CEO Suki's excessive compensation and a business model that until recently retained natural gas price risk in their LNG contracts, which has made achieving financing more challenging. Overall, attendance was reported as similar to last year. One analyst was surprised it wasn't greater given the frequent positive conversations he was having with investors. We found that it confirmed our bullish outlook based on strong balance sheets, continuing capital discipline, and continued global demand growth for U.S. gas, NGLs, and crude oil.